This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. Horticulture spelled a rushing, and I gotta tell you, it is a nice day outside in some parts of the state and some parts of the world. Matter of fact, I'm broadcasting live from a sweet little garden full of roses and and wild violets, all sorts of lilacs, uh, uh, lavender, all sorts of stuff in northern England. But I'll be back next week. Java, I'm coming home next week. Going to see you in the studio live next Friday. How you been, man? I've been fine. And to what you just said, it is pretty cool um, here in the state. We're not, you know, beholden to these 100-degree-plus temperatures (laughs) anymore. Um, Yeah. I mean, they could come back at any moment. But for the last couple, uh, I guess, say about this week, it's been pleasant outside. It's it's funny how 93 degrees can feel good (laughs) after you've been dealing with 115. (laughs) Yes, it's crazy. And I've been following a lot of stuff on the Mississippi Garden Facebook page. And a lot of people have gotten some pretty good rains, too. So, you know, not everybody. It's going to be real interesting when I get back uh, to Jackson this next week to see what my gardeners look like because – other than having some teenagers uh, to look after some of my potted plants, some of my cherished potted plants, my shrubs, my vines, my flowers, my perennial birds, none of that has had a drop of anything that what comes from the sky for the past three months. It's going to be real interesting to see if my uh, test, my acid test of what could tolerate the, the between last winter and this summer, it's going to be real interesting to see if I've changed my mind on some really, really tough plants. But anyway, we're going to talk about it. If anybody has some, some questions, some things you'd like to yak about, uh, me and Java are here live, uh, even though I'm in a sunny garden full of lavender and roses in northern England. My heart's right there in the Magnolia State with everybody else, and we'll be glad to talk about whatever's on your mind. I know a lot of people uh, this time of year are worried about their lawns. Uh, the vegetables, summer vegetables have petered out, want to know what to plant for fall. Uh, potted plants, caterpillars, blacks, all sorts of trees browning out. Um, and we'll be, I, I'll talk about that with you. So if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free. Uh, I do have a, a, a short interview coming up with a, a, an old friend. We're going to talk about that. But Now, Felder, as uh, you are getting ready to um, come back to Mississippi, I think I ask you this every time you are over there and on your way back. What is, I guess, the, like, the most interesting thing you've seen? Because you've been to flower shows, you've been visiting different gardens and stuff. So what's some of the most interesting things you've seen um, on this on this trip? Well, you know, Java, I, and I, not not to brag, but just to sort of set the batteries. I, I've been to five continents. I've worked in botanic. I've, I've been all over the place, and everywhere I go, gardening is pretty much the same thing. You dig a hole. If it's bad dirt, you add stuff to it. You stick something in it, green side up. You water it, and if it doesn't make it, you plant something else in a hole. And that's why we've been doing it for thousands of years, hundreds of years, uh, and in Mississippi for a couple of hundred years. And uh, the the thing is. What will weather throw at it? What will, uh, you know, what what does our watering or our planting, all the insect and diseases? And the thing I've noticed probably more than anything, the thing I'm most pleased about um, 
is the fact that in England and Europe, a lot of their toughest, most beautiful summer heat and drought-tolerant plants happen to be native to Mississippi. Uh, just yesterday, I was at the Royal Horticulture Society garden called Bridgewater. It's only been, uh, you know, sort of the newest one. This is my fourth visit to it, and uh, I noticed that their summer borders, their hot, dry, the worst conditions are things like goldenrod and asters and leatrice and joe pieweed and swamp milkweed and red buds and sumac. Uh, matter of fact, one of the plants they have that's starting to show fall color, one of our terrific Mississippi native perennials, has real pretty little blue flowers in the spring. It's got good fall color. Uh, it's called Amsonia or Blue Star. You see that in ditches in the Delta. It's it's one of the top ten perennials in most English gardens, even the fancy gardens. But interestingly enough, the prettiest one with the showiest golden yellow fall color right now is called Amsonia Hubrichtii, which happened to be named after a fellow from Meridian, Mississippi, who discovered it in a small spot in Arkansas and introduced it. So the, the Hubrick's Amsonia is one of the top ten perennials in English gardens. We don't even put it now. I, I see it every now and then. But anyway, I'm real pleased that our native plants, which are best adapted for our insect diseases, our rain, our cold, our heat, our best plants, the most beautiful of all, are more appreciated in European gardens than they are in our own garden. I think that'll change. So how am I doing on that? Uh, you really cemented the fact that I always say this, Mississippi can be found anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah, yeah, all yeah. the way in English gardens because uh, of a guy from Meridian, Mississippi. Come on. <laughs> that's right. And, and I hear more Mississippi blues in northern England that I do in Mississippi. But anyway, well, I got some other things I want to yak about, but let's let's do what we're here for. Let's talk with gardeners about their own gardens. So we're going to start out up in South Haven and talk with Rebecca. Good morning, lady. Thank you for calling. Good morning, Felder. I'm looking forward to you being back, even though I never see you when you until you come up this way. But I'm, uh, I'm actually giving a talk in DeSoto County. I don't remember if this fall or next spring, but uh, but I, I, I'm scheduled to do a thing in Hernando. So anyway, let's let's see really? what happens. What yeah, what you got going on? Well, um, I called you this spring because one of my friends is growing asparagus, and I thought I didn't know you could grow it here. And um, I, everything I look at says I need to plant it in the spring, but I'm thinking. If it takes two or three years to really mature, it seems like you could plant it in the fall or the spring. It seems like. Well, well, let me let me. First of all, uh, asparagus is in the same general family as monkey grass, right? I mean, you, know, you don't think about it that way, and you don't wait to plant monkey grass. You plant it when you need to, no, and it you grows. Plant it whenever See? the ground's soft enough. <laughs> That's right. You don't. You don't put off planting it because it may look better next year. You plant it because you want it. And here's the deal with asparagus. It does better further north, no question about it, but it'll do fine if we can keep it from staying too wet in the wintertime. That means instead of planting it deep in trenches like they do up north, you plant it level with the ground around it, but you pile stuff up on top of it. In other words, in a raised bed or raised mat or, or, or a row. So it's above the ground when it's really, really wet, but not so high you got to water it. Uh, other than that, the only issue I see with, with asparagus is it doesn't look like anything in the wintertime. So that's what daffodils are for. You can plant asparagus and daffodils in the same place and get twice as much uh, uh, production for your work of planting it. Okay, now, so what varieties are my best bets? 
Well, with asparagus, most of them will do about the same. They're, you know, if you go online, you get confused real quick. But there are some that seem to be a little bit more heat tolerant. I don't know that that's so much of the problem is if you can get, you know, you buy it like monkey grass, like clumps of monkey grass, just the roots and plant those. And there are some that are male clones. See, they come in separate male and female. The female will have red berries on them, which is a waste of energy. So the males seem to produce a little bit more of what you can eat with less energy uh, for the bear. But that's not that big a deal. You know, the most important thing is plant some healthy uh, uh, roots, not too deep, with at least four or five, uh, two or three or four or five inches of dirt and mulch on top of it. And that's it. That's it. All right. Now, is there anything to putting um, pine bark in the soil and that keeping it higher and drier? Somebody well, did that with their camellia. Yes, I, I always recommend uh, to add a little stuff to the native dirt. A lot of people dig the dirt out and they fill the hole back up with other stuff. That's like dumping out a bowl of corn uh, of, of stuff and fill it with just cornflakes. Take what you've got, dig it, you know, shovel deep, and then spread some stuff like bark or compost or manure, or a little of each, on top, and then stir it in. Just like crackers and chili, it, it, you know I say this all the time. But if you know if you don't add at least a handful of crumbled crackers to a bowl of chili, you can't tell you added any. But if you add more than two handful, it ain't chili anymore. If, you're so if you got crackers, so, so yeah, what, you know a, a handful of crackers to a bowl of chili. If you got that down, you know about how much bark and a little compost manure to add to your dirt to fluff it up. Just don't overdo it. Okay, now separate question: um, garlic. I was wondering, what variety of garlic? Because last year I was ready to plant garlic, and they said, well, you get it from so-and-so, and they're out of stock. Everybody's out of stock, so you want to get it the right time. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, let me see, I'm calling up a little thing. I, I actually wrote something on growing garlic uh, in the South because some varieties do better than others. No question about that. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I can't put my fingers on it. Besides, I'm out in the garden. There's too much glare on my screen. I have a little publication on growing garlic in the south, in the lower south. It's free. If you'll email me, I'll send it to you. But in general, the varieties grow way up north. Don't tend to produce bulbs fast enough here in the in the in the, uh, in the lower south. And some varieties tend to rot in our heavy spring rain. So I've got about a dozen, a dozen and a half varieties that have been proven, not just by me, but uh, by, by Bill Finch out of Mobile, he grows a lot of different garlics. And so between a whole bunch of us, we found that most of them will do well if you plant them where they don't stay too wet in the winter and too, uh, you know, too, too dry in the summer. Uh, excuse me. They go dormant in the summer. They don't want to be too wet in the spring. And that's, you know, the, the basic thing is make sure they don't stay too wet. Uh, okay. You, you can't so, go. Elderrushing.blog. I'll send it that way. And, um, that, that's right. And also keep in mind, there is a type of plant that we call garlic. A lot of people swear it's garlic. It's called elephant garlic. It's not true garlic. It's really a leek. But everything about it, the way it grows, the way it flowers, the way you eat it, everything about it says giant garlic. Elephant garlic is so hardy that I could see where it was planted around home sites and the house has been gone for a century. It's a really dependable one. It comes back year after year. It's got a beautiful fifth-sized flowers in the spring. But elephant garlic is widely available. It's real, real durable. Loves the South. And, uh, and it's a pretty plant. It'll come back year after year, even during to eat it. So if you can find elephant garlic, that'd be a great one to start with. Thank you so much, Felder. You have a good day. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, elephant garlic. I've been growing that forever. You can see it uh, just out in the middle of nowhere. A lot of people are nodding their head, Java. Anyway, I want to see it. Do we have Taylor Yowell on the line? Yes, sir. Taylor, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Felder. How about you? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for last minute. Uh, uh, you know, I just shot you something early this morning saying, can you join me? Because you got something really cool going on, and I want to share it with you. First of all, let me tell folks a little bit who you are. Uh, Taylor Yowell, uh, your mom and I went to horticulture school together a long time ago. Anyway, you and your wife, they, you, I say a small farm, but it's like, what, three or four? How big is it? Three or four acres, six acres, something like that? Six acres. Six acres, and it's north of Bolton between Ebers and Flora. You can't get more boondocks than that. Just can't get more. And, you're, and your wife's not from the south. What did she think about it the first time she saw that farm? Well, uh, we like to say she's from uh, from Boston to Bolton. And um, <laughs> she, uh, I had to do a little bit of convincing, kind of kind of grease the wheels there. But uh, her passion for plants and, uh, and farming um, – matched well with the lay of the land in that we uh, have a really beautiful uh, property and that we're surrounded by a lot of native hardwoods and um, have some great neighbors yep. out here and everything. So uh, she fit right in. Good, good, good. Well, the name of your place, and, and uh, you said a small farm, but the name of your place is the Garden Pharmacy, Farm, A-F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, the Garden Pharmacy, which I think is really cool because what y'all do is you grow a lot of different vegetables and fruits and herbs and cut flowers do it all 100% organically, and you do it all by hand. That's got to be yes, a chore, man. And this, this, how did this, how did y'all survive the summer? Um, it's it's certainly been a very hot summer and, and a very dry one as well. Um, yeah, we survived by being, I like to say, smart. We uh, we worked at the right time of the day. Uh, our timing. We tried to um, to be impeccable with, uh, you know, the the conditions at hand. Um, and not yeah. to uh, not overexert yourself. We like to call this our kind of our hibernation. You know, a lot of folks in the Northeast yeah. might hibernate during the winter, but you know, we're honestly hibernating in August down here in Mississippi. You know, you you're you're one of the few people who ever heard that. People up Minnesota say we can't live in Mississippi. I'm thinking I couldn't live in Minnesota. We just <laughs> learned how to hunker down at the right time. Anyway, one of the reasons I think you've got good success is you're growing unusual plants that happen to be either native or heirloom, that have proven themselves. It, the, the main reason I want to talk to you today is because uh, I noticed on the Facebook you said that, you're gonna, that you've got a really good bumper crop of jujube. And come on, man, jujube. Nobody ever heard of a jujube. Tell That's us right. about it. Uh, the jujube is a very ancient fruit. It's one of the most popular yet the most unknown fruits in the world. The reason I say most popular is because it is very common where it is native to in Asia. Um, and the population of, obviously, China, India, a very large population. Everyone there knows what the jujube is. There's the orchards. Um, it's in their family history. It's uh, a part of their medicine, even. Um, but in the United States, it's very unknown. It just never really made it uh, made it over here um, in, in time to uh, kind of compete with, like, the apple and the pear that were able to get a good footing early in American history. Yeah, which is so weird because I was raised – my great-grandmother's a horticulturist. She had pecans and peaches and plums and apples and all sorts of stuff. But she had a jujube tree, and, and nice. I remember you know, you have to wait until the – I'd say the fruit – are about 
twice the size of my finger, not quite the size of an egg, and they got a big seed in it, and you have to wait till they're wrinkled before they're ready to eat. But I was raised with jujubes, and it's a beautiful landscape plant. They had one at Monell Gardens. But you, you, you grow a variety that's named after Yazoo County, Mississippi, Yazoo <laughs> Lee. What's that's exactly that? right. Um, so this jujube, uh, the tree itself is called the Yazoo Lee. I gave it that name for a sense of place and that there are many jujube cultivars throughout the, uh, the world in the United States right now uh, that uh, produce um, edible, tasty fruit. There are not many, but there are uh, a handful of them. And I could not uh, compare what I had discovered in Yazoo City with any of these other known cultivars. I sent off samples to uh, the jujube experts throughout the, the country, and, and really they were like, hey, man, we just we don't know what this is, but we know it's got very good fruit, and uh, it's kind of your own discovery. And so what we try to do with this fruit is uh, bring it to uh, fellow Mississippians' attention that Hey, this is growing in your in your backyard, and we've got a uh, an incredible fruit right here that's got Mississippi's name all over it. We just got to get people to try it, and that's the story: is that it's still developing. This is um, an orchard that I discovered four years ago uh, with the help of a good friend. That yes, sir, an old orchard, something nobody uh, people in the whole neighborhood probably didn't even know about it. Well, that's exactly right. The the people whose land the orchard is on. They didn't know what kind of tree it was. They had a lot of damage during the 2010 Yazoo City tornado, uh, but the jujube survived, and it suckers. It comes up from the base and uh, throughout the yard based on root suckering. And so they lost all of their trees in their yard, but they decided since they just wanted some trees in the yard to let the, the, the jujube suckers to continue to grow. And, um, and and when I stumbled upon it, I told them what they had. I said, you've got a whole entire jujube orchard right here. And they didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> well, let, let me, and by the way, people do not, first of all, the tree is an upright, it's not a big, it's not an oak type tree, but it's an upright small tree. It's got really glossy leaves with, with nice strong veins. But the fruit is like a small egg. And to me, it tastes almost like a, I'm going to say a pear or an apple. How, what would you describe the taste? You bite into it, it's just like a, a pear or an apple with a big seed in the middle. What do you say That's it tastes right. like? I, I'd say you're very close. Apple certainly comes to mind first, but with the flavor of like honey and caramel, uh, very sweet. It has a crunch to it. Um, your teeth don't necessarily just sink into it. You, it kind of You break a piece off of it with your teeth pretty easily. So I really like that crunch and the flavor. Um, of the uh, of the jujube compared to a lot of other fruits that kind of like when you bite into it just run down your face this has a very uh a firm texture but crunchy and, and just really um pleasurable to eat you can put a handful in your pocket and they'll last all day uh pull them out whenever you want them eat on them um they're very uh very easy to carry fruit and i think just a great snack all around well if any if anybody wants to know more about that it's j-u-j-u-b-e but we have Folks in Mississippi have been growing it a long time. My great-grandmother's tree is still alive. But uh, I know you you, you sell uh, – you graft fruit trees, but you're out of jujubes for this year. But I've seen you sell them at the Farmer's Market in Jackson, and you said you can have a whole bunch of them at the Farmer's Market, now at the fairgrounds in Jackson, this weekend. Yes, sir. We are going to have a lot of fruit tomorrow morning uh, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the uh, High Street Farmer's Market. Uh, the Yazoo Lee jujube season is right now. It doesn't last long. There's about a one-week window, 
And uh, it's been a great season in photo. That's the interesting part about the Jujube is that it is highly adaptable. It's very resilient. It's, um, it's able to withstand or it's cold hardy to negative 25 degrees, but also it can produce and set healthy fruit in temperatures up to 110 degrees. So we have a fruit tree on our hand that is not only cold hardy and resilient in the heat, but also drought tolerant. So the extreme conditions we've had this late summer um, have actually benefited this fruit where we have had trouble with a lot of our other more common fruits. So that's the point I'd like to make is how, um, how reliable this fruit can be um, under extreme conditions for continuing to enjoy late summers in Mississippi. And I think you said that because of the hot, dry weather, the sugars are actually condensed. So this That's year right. they taste a little sweeter. That's so That's wild. That's right. Anyway, I, you know, I know you. You know, y'all got to get back out before it gets too hot. But I want to ask you a couple of things. Do y'all grow pawpaws? We do. Yes, sir. Yep. What about what about elderberries? We have elderberries as well. We're pretty diversified, Felder. Okay, one more. What about pineapple guava? Because, you know, I, I know of a pineapple guava tree in Jackson, a bush, big bush, that produces just about every year. I just don't know how it did with this past winter. But you have pineapple guava, too, don't you? Yes, sir, we do. Uh, also named or called uh, Pahoya. We we have plenty of We've got about 40 of them planted out here. Uh, some grass varieties the, as well. Did, did they make it through last winter okay? Because it was brutal. Last, let's see, last year we had an incredible crop, but this year we had very few flowers because it was so warm in February. They had already started pushing, uh, yeah, um, yeah. but we still have some fruit, hopeful for a better year next year on the on the pineapple guava. Yeah. Well, listen, we, we got the scoot, got a break coming up, but uh, Taylor the Owl, uh, the, the Garden Pharmacy, F-A-R-M-C, let me, let me give you, a, and thank you, but let me give you a piece of advice. I was looking at a picture of you on your, your website. <laughs> Yo, young man, you need to put some cream on that nose of yours. It's a little red from sunshine. I'm just telling you. I know, I know. That's that's <laughs> part of it. That's part of it. But we're certainly trying to get smarter as we get older out here. There you go. Well, Taylor, tell everybody. I said, hey, man, I appreciate you spending some time, and I hope you have a good turnout to taste and, and purchase some of your incredible Yazoo Lee Jujubes at the Farmer's Market Saturday morning. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Felder. Okay, see ya. How about that, Java? That was great. That was great, Felder. And I like how I, at the end you, you threw in the pawpaws and the elderberry, just some more things that people don't regularly see. And they're they're pretty yard plants, and you can eat. It's just so interesting. People want to grow pecans and peaches and plums. When we have some really cool landscape plants that produce good fruit without nearly the effort. But anyway, um, Walker. Thank you for holding, man. I appreciate that. But I just had to talk with Taylor while he was in getting a drink of water. How you doing? Fine. Not to worry. I'm enjoying the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for being part of it. What you got? Okay. I live in Carroll County outside of McCarley in a wooded uh, plot of land. It's pretty pretty uh, uh, shady most of the time. In the backyard uh, off my deck, I've just developed in this last week with the help of a landscaper, uh, putting in some good dirt, putting a retaining wall, some good dirt on top of it. And I've planted so far only monkey grass around the borders. And all the deer that I've enjoyed seeing through the years, uh, I now see are walking across my new plot. And this morning, one of the things of monkey grass was apparently sampled by the deer. So I'm wondering about planting what I'm going to plant. And maybe I well, should be calling creature comforts, but uh, that's, my, that's my problem. I want to make sure I'm planting something that's going to look good and not uh, uh, feed the deer. Well, now this is a, this is a case where the creature comfort folks and I 
are on completely different pages, but they overlap 100%. They know all about the wildlife. I know all about the gardening, but I know that gardening has to deal with wildlife, and they know that wildlife boogers up people's yards. Here's a, and by the way, if there was a good solution to keep deer from eating roses and monkey grass, my son, now we're talking about the guy that's going to decide what old folks home I go into, hot shot lawyer. If there's something I could do to keep deer off of his garden, I'd have done it by now. But the truth is, only a fence. Anybody tells you differently is either pulling stuff out of thin air or they're guessing. or they're fe- There is no good prevention for deer other than a fence. That's just the bottom line. And every garden I go to, every botanic garden I go to, all over uh, North America, all over the South, all over England, they all have deer fencing. And it doesn't have to be a bad – you know what dog fencing is. You know, you can almost not see it. There's a special deer fencing that you string it between posts, and you can't see it from 10 feet away, but six feet tall to keep deer out. There is no other solution, though, and I'm real sure of that. Well, if, if monkey grass is on their diet, then I won't plant any more monkey grass, and they'll eat what they eat. But I got a lot of dairy plant, and I was going to put other stuff in, and I was wondering what I should put in that's not on their diet. I'm, there I'm, is. I'm thinking right now is a red bud tree with some persimmon oh, around okay. it, some wildflowers oh, oh, in the spring. Oh, okay, let, let me let me interrupt you here. Southern Living, my old friend Steve Bender, the grumpy gardener of Southern Living, he and I have been working with gardeners across the South for a long time, and we both say the same thing. There are no plants that deer sooner or later won't eat. They don't they don't like fragrant plants, uh, real uh herbs type things, you know, rosemary, but they'll eat that if they get hungry. But almost anything you put in your yard that's not real, real fragrant, deer are going to eat. So sooner or later, you're either going to not have much of a yard or you're going to put up a deer fence. I'm just trying to cut to the chase here. Everything you read about plants that are resistant to deer, I'll find 10 people say deer ate theirs up. And it's just sort of a bottom line. I don't like the idea of a fence. How about a dog? Well, I'm, I, you know, deer are a fact of life. Deer, deer okay. are a fact of deer and squirrel and mosquitoes are facts of life, and there are no good. Uh, thing. Anyway, I, I'm just trying to cut to the chase on this. Uh, I, I know it sounds negative. I okay, and again, the deer fencing stuff—they have them around botanic gardens. Uh, I, I saw one yesterday, uh, the Bridgewater uh, Botanic Garden uh, in in. Uh, out from Manchester, England, and all around their perimeter, they have this deer fencing, and the holes are a sort of, I mean, they're like six inches by six inches. You can barely see it, and it works. And that's what my son ended up doing down at the uh, end of his property. So I know it's a pain in the butt, but there it is. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Java, I'm going to ask you something. Go ahead, Federal. What's up? <laughs> oh, you know. One of the clips you just played was a piece of the our theme song played on a theremin. And I know you know what a theremin is, but you know that I have one? No, nah, I didn't <laughs> know that you had one. Now. I'm going to have to come and come come by and play. <laughs> oh, it sounds terrible. It's that instrument that they that they do science you know. And that was kind of a creepy thing. Uh, and that was played by a local guy uh, named Thomas Grillo, who's a thereminist. No worldwide. But uh, anyway, I got a, an email last week from a listener who has a friend who wants to do our tune on a tuba. What do you think? Now, I think that is a great <laughs> idea. I think that is a well, great idea. It'd be interesting if they could do it in a kind of a blues mode or a jazzy thing. But, it'd be, you know, I'd like to throw out the challenge. Anybody who plays a 
kind of a, let's say an alternate instrument who might want to give it a go. I think we can work something out on that. But uh, anyway, uh, we, we got a call on the line, but when we come back from that, I do have an answer to a question that nobody asked, just in case we need a job. Meanwhile, let's, let's slide up to Olive Branch. Rick, thank you for calling. How are you today? <laughs> well, I've been on hold since I left Memphis, and I'm fixing to pull into Potts Camp. <laughs> well, 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 well. I hope you had hands on the wheels. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, first, let me start by saying I, too, have a gardening book out. Um, it's uh, kind of long in the tooth on the uh, on the title. It's called uh, Guaranteed Gardening Tip for Severely Plant-Challenged People. Uh, it's got one picture <laughs> in it that shows uh, uh, dead plants, dead flowers, dead bushes, dead trees. And then it's yeah. only got two words, uh, two words, and it says just don't. That's that's it. <laughs> but it's a, but it's a, it's worth it. It's, it's, a, it's worth it just for the title. Yeah, well, it's you know it, it's the bestseller. But uh, reason I'm calling <laughs> my uh, my son and I just acquired a house that is it's completely canopied by uh, some very old, very large trees. I mean, the house gets absolutely. I mean, just you know, except for the leaves or yeah. the right. No right. sun, right? And it's a small, gotcha. small um, basically dirt with rocks and fallen limbs. And I'm wanting to clean the yard up, and I want a some kind of grass that I can break the dirt and throw seeds down, and hopefully it take and just get some kind of vegetation down. Okay, well, uh, without a long title of a long, interesting book, let me just give you two words: just, just don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, here's here, here's the and for, for, first first of all, Rick. There's a lot of people, including the Memphis Botanic Garden, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Dixon Garden. There's a lot of places that have really nice gardens with no grass at all and 100 percent shade. So it's possible, but there are no there and there are a few native plants that grow light grass that you can put out there. Uh, the problem is you can't get the seeds for them. They're good plants, but nobody's nobody's harvesting selling the seeds. You can put monkey mondo grass out there and, and actually mow it. My great grandmother has some down at the Delta, and you can mow it. And it looks like grass, and it spreads in a hundred percent shade. It just takes a little while, but mondo grass is probably your best gra- grass type substitute. That's going to be. And, and other than that, um, if you could think of a slightly different approach towards the landscape, I've seen some really good ideas over and over and over, and the simplest one is put something out from the house, out from the kitchen window, out from the porch, wherever it is that, that, that people look. Put something way out from there that you can see from where you're sitting, a bench, an arbor, something like that, and then make a path through it to it, curvy or straight or whatever, and then line both sides of the path with fallen limbs. You, you already got uh-huh. them, and that way, that way you've got a path, and, and all year long these these limbs, logs, limbs, whatever, they make a visual border to a path, and then just let the leaves fall out there in the rest of the areas and slowly start putting in ferns, uh, hostas, and uh, different kinds of shade-loving plants, a few at a time. But make you a place to look at and then put an obvious path to it using your limbs, and immediately your problem disappears because you've got something else to focus on instead of trees and nothing. that makes well, sense? Yes, sir, it does. But one question, 
I've gotten I've gotten this from several different people. I know you're the the um, a I'm a long the, guy. I'm a long yeah. guy. What uh, I've been I've been uh, people have been telling me about rye grass. I mean, I, here again, I don't know. Okay, here asking. here. Here's the deal with rye, rye grass and fescue and things like that are the kind of grasses that grow up north where St. Augustine, Centipede, Bermuda grass won't grow. It grows over the right. summertime up north. It burns out here uh, around June or so. Uh, but at the same time, it grows over the winter. So if you wanted to have a lawn that you sow the seeds out in, let's say, middle, late September, 1st of October, then it'll come up you know, pretty quickly with a little bit of rain, and you've got a grass until it burns out next late May or June. So you can have a winter lawn, but the problem is that's when your trees are dropping their leaves. So you got to mow it and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, ryegrass grows over the winter, dies in the late spring, early summer, and you got to repeat uh, it every year. But a lot, a lot uh, of people do that. It, it, another thing you could do is instead of thinking wall-to-wall grass or trees in it, put your little throw rugs of grass. Try a little ryegrass here, a little patch over there, and connect, you know make your path out to a bench or, or arbor. And then here and there along the way, put little putting greens of ryegrass just to give it a try the first winter. See how that looks. Okay. Well, the, the main reason, I mean, if it was if it wasn't for our pet dog, you know, I would just. I would just make the whole yard a rock garden. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I drive a dump truck, so I have easy access. But, uh, you know, I was trying to get something down uh, for our puppy to take care of business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Think think little throw rugs here and there, sort of like a putting green. You know, just a little throw rug, distinct shape. You know, not just random stuff, but put you a little bit here and a little bit there, uh, you know, at different spots. Sometime later this month, you know, early October at the latest of ryegrass and see how that works. And if it works, you know, you can expand it next year or you can see where the dog prefers to go. Uh, One thing, though, if you when you get the ryegrass, you'll have a choice between annual and perennial ryegrass. Perennial ryegrass burns out, too, but it's a better quality grass. It grows better, prettier green, shorter. So go with the perennial ryegrass and little distinct ears here and there, and just experiment. See how it works. You'll know by the by the uh, end of end of uh, April or May whether you want to do it again. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it, and I will I will send you an autographed copy of that book. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Appreciate. It. Hope you don't have a middle name because that way it's going to be longer than the book. Okay. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, John, but let's slide all the way down the other end, down to the Gulf Coast of Mandeville, Louisiana. Peg, thank you for holding. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Felder. I've just good. had a little bit of a problem with, um, I planted some snow on the mountain limas last yeah. year. And, they, and they were from, I've, I've grown them before, just never got much of a crop, but I never even got a bloom. Okay, and now, re- so re- now, hang, hang on, hang on. There's several different plants called Snow on a Mountain. Which one did you grow? It's a, a bloom lima. I don't know that one. Oh, um, uh, I guess I'll have it, to send you a picture of the it, 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 is it the is it the is it the annual that comes up and the leaves are sort of green and white? No, this is a bean. It's a lima bean. Oh, 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 a bean. Okay, I'm sorry. I just hadn't heard of that particular bean, Lima. I was trying to think some kind of Latin name that started with Linus or whatever. Oh, um, no. I'm not that well, fancy. 
Okay, well, um, I, I can help you lima beans, butter beans. Yeah. Yeah, so they, well, what, it, it what, just produced all green, nice, tall, full, six plants with lots of leaves and not a single bloom. Huh. And so I'm wondering if I should just forget about it this year and try well, again next year, or is there anything I can do before well, it's not it, growing season anymore? No, well, it's not growing season anymore. Uh, even Well, down, down along the coast, usually we say the first week or two in August, but, you know, on the coast, if we have a mild fall, you might be able to get a pretty decent crop. And if you, if you don't get a frost before they're produced, they might actually produce better because the plants, the seeds and the plants will grow well in warm weather, but they produce better when it's a little bit cooler. So if you want to give it a try, if you still got some seeds, I go ahead and plant some. Just don't plant a real well, thick. Well, they're, they're already up. The seeds are up. The plants are up. They just have never bloomed. There's no flowers, well, so there's no... Here, here's a couple of possible reasons. First of all, uh, beans, whether it's lima beans or peas or any of those kinds, they're all legumes. If they've got rich soil, if they've got a little extra fertilizer, they will grow plants rather than flowers. So number one cause ah. is a little bit too much, too much nitrogen. You don't even need nitrogen fertilizer with legumes like sweet potatoes and beans and peanuts and uh, that kind of thing. So too much fertilizer will cause them to have all vine and no fruit. Also, when it hits 95 degrees, they don't make fruits. They just don't. Yeah, you know, they're not too happy. Hot. No, they're not. So anyway, if you could keep them alive over the next couple of three or four weeks, they might pick back up. Just uh, don't keep them wet. Okay. Don't give them any fertilizer. And let's see what they, they could very well pick up if the weather cools off. Okay. Well, I will definitely give them a chance. And if not, right. well, you know, they don't make it next year. Thanks. Save some seeds. <laughs> you bet. Appreciate it, Peg. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Now, now let's slide up to Oxford. Wayne, appreciate you calling. What's going on in Lafayette County? Yes, sir. Beautiful weather this morning. Enjoying your show. Oh, appreciate it, man. What's I'm, up? The reason I'm calling is I live in a hardwood forest, about 100 acres, and at one time I had 16 deer in my yard. Yeah. But what I stumbled on was a two-strand electric fence. The top strand's about knee height. The next one's about halfway to the ground from there. And I just tacked it on the outside edge of my yard, and I don't have any deer. I have pastas and tasons in the fall, winter. I have pansies. I have no deer in my yard. But I hunt here, am I? Yeah, and, and, and electric fences do work. I, I, you know, as far as, uh, you know, do they always work? Not always, well, but you can you you can also train the deer by putting a little bit of peanut butter on the wire, and they'll come out yeah. and stick the nose to it, and they'll remember. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I know I know deer can jump over some fence, but that's a great solution. Right. Well, the fence is so old; it's like fifteen years old now. It's turned rusty. You don't see it at all, and I I think the deer just hit it and something stung them, so they just turned and run away from it. You know, I've yeah, had let's, I've let's, had really good with it well i appreciate it let's hope that walker and carroll county is still hearing that because i you know it just completely slipped my mind about electric fence but it's certainly worth a try i appreciate that wayne great yes sir have a good day all righty java how we doing man uh we're doing fine we got our last caller for the day um hugh in ocean springs up next okay hugh how are you this morning well Felder, i'm doing well thanks and yourself so far so good not so bad Okay. Uh, well, I was calling, you know, like you mentioned the drought down here, you know, until just, until just the past week. 
and a lot of my lawn has, you know, really suffered probably as well as everybody else's. And I was wondering, do I try to water it? And then in the fall, would it be, is there any pluses to trying to fertilize it or feed it? Well, if you're going to fertilize it, that will help it recover. Uh, I would go ahead and yeah. do it as soon as soon as you can. First of September is sort of the cutoff date. And uh, what kind of grass do you have? Uh, assorted. I think it's mostly St. Augustine and what's the other one that's big down here? Centipede. Centipede, yeah. Okay. Uh, what I, I would do is... Nice crop of bahia grass in spots, too. Okay, you don't have to worry about that stuff. It grows on the interstate. Look for either a centipede food, and this works well for both centipedes and St. Augustine. It'll say centipede food, first and third number will be the same, or a winterizer, which even though it's got a different name, they have sort of the same ingredients, either centipede food or a winterizer, and put it down as soon as you can, about half strength. Make the bag go twice as far as it says it will. And if you could give it a really good soaking, maybe water it twice a few minutes apart, let it soak in, that's about that, that should that should get it through and that'll get the fertilizer starting started without pushing your grass too much up against winter. If you wait too late, the grass can get winter injury if it's been fertilized too late. So get go ahead and get it done soon. Really good soaking. Let's see what happens. Okay. Thanks. All right, appreciate it. Job has been kind of wild, man. Yeah, we rocked and rolled throughout the whole day and we I guess barely have enough time for Questions and or no, what's it? I messed up the uh, the little intro. <laughs> yeah, what, what what is the question? It's, and, and, and coincidentally, it has to do with the coast. Uh, somebody wrote in on, from on Mississippi Gardening Facebook about finding a glass snake in their yard. Have you ever heard of a glass snake? My first question is, what is that? <laughs> I've got the answer, but that's not the real question. A glass snake is actually a legless lizard. It looks like a snake, but it's really a lizard that has, very, if anything, all just little nubs instead of, in it. but everything about it says snake. It's called a glass, glass snake because, like other lizards, if you pick them up, they'll pop part of their tail off like it's made out of glass. And that little part that breaks off wiggles around the ground. Whatever's trying to catch it goes for that, and the, the lizard slinks off. Now that's that's weird enough, ain't it? Very weird. That that ain't the answer to the question, though. <laughs> what you know, a lot of people try to catch lizards, little skinks with their blue tails, or those green animals that some people call camellia, and their tails will pop off and wiggle on the ground. And get this, it'll grow back. It'll they'll actually pop it off and grow back. But the the the, the answer is. Why is it important? Well, tail has to they have to have it for balance, communication, and defense. But if a lizard is grabbed by a predator, it triggers a reflex that causes the muscles to contract and break off the tail at specific points called fracture planes. It's like hooking plugs in the sockets. You know, you can hook a, a, a socket into a socket and the plugs in the sockets. Their tails have got joints like that. Between each segment, they got little eight little prongs that are raised in a circle that fit in the sockets. And if they get scared, they do this thing called self-sever, autotonomy is what it means. And what it does is it makes it just pop off. And the predator chases the little wiggling tail, the lizard sneaks away and grows the tail back. Is that weird or what? That is very weird. But I've seen that on other um, lizards. I had to I had to type in glass snake on Google and the pictures that I pulled up are I, 
sort of another word. They're pretty freaky, man. <laughs> it looks like a snake, but it really is a lizard without without legs. Uh, or little little nubby things at the most. But anyway, they call that because they pop the tail off like it's broken out of glass. Anyway, a lot of people don't realize they break the tails off on purpose. They contract their muscles, it pops off, and it wiggles around while they sneak away, and then they grow one back. Now, I wish we could do that for attitudes. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes my attitude just pops off, and I can't get it back for a long time. My question is, how does the, the lizard know how much of the tail to pop off? <laughs> you know what? That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a, an answer for a question of another day. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, anatomy, which is uh, called, it's another word for self-sever, autotomy, autotomy, self-sever. Just throwing that out. Now, Felder, in this last little bit of the show, just want to uh, wish you safe travels as you're making your way back to um, back to Mississippi. And next week, you're going to be in the studio. That's right. And uh, I want to talk next week, and maybe you can get the folks on the uh, on the travel show. We've got a, a 40th anniversary of the Agriculture Museum in Jackson next Saturday, September the sixth. Excuse me, Saturday night, September the ninth. 40th anniversary of the Ag Museum, and I'm going to be there in the Herb Garden and giving a talk at noon about great, great plants. And our weather, and they, when you're tired of looking at it, you can eat it. So anyway, Horticulture's Fellow Russian, Java Chapman, all the other folks in MPB, we appreciate you tuning in. I'm looking forward to being back in the hot, humid south and see what's happening in my garden. Uh, and I've got, if I get a chance, this old guy's going to stay hydrated. I'm going to drink me some earth juice. I'm going to keep a hat on some sunscreen. And I'm going to do what we all do best, and that's get dirty. Take a kid to a farmer's market. Tell Taylor Yowell at the farmer's market in Jackson, I said, hey, while y'all eat some of his Mississippi-grown Yazoo League jujube. See y'all next week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.